1: Welcome to Lawmen, a podcast about local legends and obscure curiosities from days of yore. I'm James Shakeshaft, and I am Alice beckett King,
2: recording from the bottom of a well because I am on a little tour selling, trying to sell my book to
1: kids. James, from the bottom of a well—that sounds like I say, "Come, come hither, children," and um, they are reticent. At least you're keeping Lassie in business. ABKs at the bottom of a well, and he's luring kids down there. In the meantime, uh, why not relive the live stream that we did the other day? Great idea. This is the edited version. I'm saying it's live stream because we mentioned the chat a few times and we steal jokes from that chat a few times. And please enjoy The Denizens of Another World. I want to talk to you about a book that has come to my attention entitled An Account of a Meeting with Denizens of Another World by William Robert Looseley, edited and with commentary by David Langford. Mm. I've got an old, old copy from 1979, which is when it was published. I want to read you some of the other books that are advertised on the back. War in 2080. The future of military technology. It looks at the trends of current military technology and scientific progress and extrapolates them into the future.
2: I'd love to know if that was correct.
1: But only got to wait 50 years. That is 216 by 138 millimetres. That book. That's the size of the book. Yeah, all of the books listed on the bucket tells you the size for some reason, mm. which is good to know. Okay, I mean, I yeah,
2: think. I guess I guess you need to know how big a book is if you, you know it's going to fit on the shelf. But I would have thought just knowing if it was book-sized, vaguely book-sized,
1: would be enough. It's not page count. We haven't got a page count no. on here. We haven't got any idea of depth. No,
2: it's just height and, and width. Width? or uh, Breadth?
1: Another one is Into Thin Air, People Who Disappear. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) Covers famous cases such as that of the Bermuda Triangle and Mary Celeste. They're shown to be rather less mysterious than they might first have seemed to be. But there are other instances where the application of logic and historical research fails to provide an explanation. Intriguing. Another book, The Road to the Stars... Again, 247 by 169. Thanks, thanks. I was about to ask. That's the biggest book on the list. But in the not-too-distant future, man's survival may depend on his ability to travel among the stars.
2: Yeah, you make a mistake writing a book about the not-too-distant future. You want to choose something like 2080, where it's pretty much guaranteed you'll be dead yes. by the time anyone can go, oh, we don't have robots that carry us about on the battlefield.
1: You're dead, you don't care. Oh, this is illustrated with colour constructions by Andrew Farmer. With colour pre-constructions. Pre-constructions. It's like a reconstruction, but before. First. <laughs> yeah.
2: I don't know if anybody enacts a crime before it happens. That's deeply
1: suspicious. That's just a practice run. That's from it?
2: the TV show Crime Starters.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the final book, it's quite. It comes across quite aggressive. Extraterrestrial encounter described as one of the few books on extraterrestrial encounter that actually has anything new to contribute. <laughs>
2: Whoa. Yeah, I mean, I was about to say, when I try and sell a book, I am trying to sell a book, but you'll notice I didn't sell it by saying, all other books are awful. (laughs) Please buy the one good book
1: that there is, mine. This book has a welter of new ideas and radical speculation, together with its pointing out of flaws in previous strategies and predictions.
2: It's almost written in Garth Marenghi's voice, as is.
1: (laughs) Yes, very much so. Uh 216 by 138.
2: Oh, so nice, nice good size book actually. Size good size,
1: yeah. Yeah, great size for a book.
2: Um, that of all those people, the person who seems like the worst to sort of get trapped in the corner of a pub with, I think, will be the last one. Yes. War of the Future Guy sounds like a right laugh.
1: War of the Future Guy is the guy that edited and commentated pon William Robert Loosley's account of a meeting with denizens of another world, 1871.
2: I'm excited about this because they're denizens. Yes. It's like citizens, but manky. Yeah, but in a den. Yeah, what is the definition of denizen? It's just like horrible people. Of a particular place. It
1: could be a nice den. It could be like a, a den that you make out of sofa cushions. It never is though, is it? No, you're thinking of more like a, a foxes or badger's.
2: It's always some kind of mose Isley opium den type of location.
1: Yeah, a den of iniquity. So William Robert Loosely, getting to the subject in hand. Billy Bob Loosely. William Robert Loosely, 1838 to 1893, Carpenter, Joiner, Undertaker.
2: Oh, mm. triple threat.
1: <laughs> that is the, the Victorian triple threat. Well, he lived on the outskirts of High Wickham. His shop was on Oxford Road of High Wickham. It was pretty big. He, listeners of the Minnesota will remember, he worked on the renovations of Benjamin Disraeli's nearby manor. Of Hunden, course. Manor, Classic. Of course.
2: Was he carpenting, joining or undertaking?
1: I think he was doing a combination of the first two. Right, good. Hopefully. But
2: good to know that he could slip into the third in case of an accident.
1: Yeah, yeah. Is there an undertaker in the house? (laughs) (laughs) He was clearly a very skilled carpenter. And there was an interesting example of his skill, which was still in his family's possession in the late 1970s, which was a very fancy desk. And it had... Well, it's described as having all sorts of fold-away sections. There was like a pop-up drawing board thing. There was a lid that would slide back and there'd be like loads of pigeonholes in it.
2: This is a classic murder mystery desk. Oh, yes. It's got all secret puzzle box elements that you can't see because of the wood carving.
1: And inside that magical magician's desk, there was, of course... A secret drawer. Yes. Hopefully this skill was kept to the drawers and he didn't bring that over into the Undertaker side of things, with like a
2: <laughs> A secret second coffin in the in the coffin.
1: A little That'd pop out, a pop-up pirate of a coffin.
2: No, I wouldn't like that at all.
1: And inside that secret drawer in the nineteen seventies, his great great granddaughter found a manuscript, the account of meeting with denizens of another world.
2: Wow. Am I being Johnny sceptic by saying I don't believe that she found the document in the 70s in the secret drawer and that maybe it was a lie?
1: Well, well, I never. Well, I mean, we don't, I don't know anything
2: about it yet, but it just sounds like the kind of thing that would be a lie.
1: Why don't you listen with an open mind?
2: Okay. All right.
1: Now, I need to workshop a voice here very briefly. I need oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I need the voice of that guy. I need William Robert Looseley's voice.
2: Well, what do we know about him? He's a joiner, a carpenter, and an undertaker.
1: And undertaker. So there's gravity there. So, so yes, yes. So kind mm. of like your normal voice to be honest. It needs a little summit summit to differentiate yeah. when I'm talking yeah. when he's talking. Yeah, and you don't want to be Darth Vadering all the way through this. Oh, God, no. What's your Victorian man voice? Let me let me have a listen. Uh,
2: what do you mean? My, I said I've got a thousand voices. And I'm a man of a million voices. It's just a lot of them. A lot of them sound like the same posh oh, man, man from the man. olden yes. days.
1: Yes. It is my intention. This is how it opens, by the way. This okay. is how the account opened. It is my intention to record the curious and marvellous happenings of a few days past while the memory is still vividly with me. A little longer, and I shall surely begin to forget. So that's how he opens.
2: Okay. Okay. I'm not I'm not gripped yet, but go on go on. It is hard to write a book, you know, I wouldn't want to judge a fellow author.
1: He was suffering from a bit of a fever and he was unable to sleep. So he went outside to cool down. And he looked in the sky and he saw a light moving in the sky. Slowly moving, like a shooting star. Yeah. Not really shooting, more just sort of trundling star. Mm. Nowadays you'd look at it and think, I wonder if that's the ISS. Yeah. Yeah. But in those days, they, they didn't, didn't have, have an, an ISS. ISS. They didn't no. have an ISS.
2: They didn't have one. Each country had their own space station back then.
1: Yeah, and they were all on the ground. <laughs> yeah, they were
2: on the ground, yeah. But they were ready, ready for space. I say, close that door. Don't you know it's space out there? <laughs> That's what you have to do if you're in a Victorian airlock.
1: Put the latch on, Just boy.
2: <laughs> opening the Victorian airlock to knock your pipe <laughs> ash out the window and then closing the airlock. Blah, <laughs> well, it's terribly cold out there in space. Carry on,
1: James. And he saw it, and he heard a thunderous noise, and then, all of a sudden, the light stopped. So sudden was the arresting of its motion that my eye went on perforce to find the shadowed bulk of the hill where, a moment before, it seemed that the thing must plunge in ruin. But no, it hung poised among the low northerly stars as though hoping to conceal itself in stillness though outshining half the sky. This sounds like olden days writing. I know I was being sceptical
2: a minute ago, but that really sounds like the needless verbosity of a Victorian carpenter, joiner and undertaker.
1: Yes. It's the voice as well I'm selling it to you, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's part of the voice.
1: I was about to act like a sensible fellow by returning to my bed when that imbecile light moved yet again. Not this time with any steady purpose of descent but in a wandering, questing fashion. And then he goes on to be sexist. <laughs> I'm just going to skip over that. What is it? Is
2: it like um, oh, It looks like a bird's driving that? He basically. Is that what he says?
1: Yes. In a wandering, questing fashion, like my lady customers who move from one fine chair to another, forever undecided of their wants. You know, you know how men choose chairs and how women choose chairs? <laughs> lower and lower it sank in its aimless drift and a new thrill of fear and wonder touched me when it came to the dim outline of the hill. For, not vanishing respectably behind this familiar horizon, the light was plainly in front of the hill, between myself and the hillside. So it started floating. He's realising it's not in the sky. Mm -hmm. Well, it's in the sky. It's not in, you know, the vastness of space. It's between him and the hill.
2: It's quite nearby, yeah.
1: It's nearby, and he sees it go down amongst a little copse of trees. I don't. Is that tautology? Is it copse by its? Anyway, it, a bunch of trees.
2: I think you can say copse of trees. Yeah, a copse is made. It can't be made of anything other than trees.
1: Bunch of trees. And then snuffed out like a candle. It is gone, and the night is like any, save for Mister Loosely gaping and all a shiver. So he goes back inside, and he goes to bed.
2: Oh, that's it. He just he's off.
1: Yeah, so far, so dream.
2: Yep, fair enough, yeah.
1: The next morning, he's like, I don't know if anyone else saw this. So he sort of subtly asks his wife, like, did you hear any thunder stuff last night? And she's like, no, slept through. She says, no, I was up all night picking chairs. (laughs) I was thinking about chairs. Which one to buy? He started asking the random people that came in his shop but everyone was asleep and their sleep was untroubled. He spoke to one guy who's quite the character. One gouty old fellow had not had a wink, sir, and slept always with the window open. And no, sir, he would not heard a sound.
2: Mm. So no corroboration from the, gouty, the goutiest of gentlemen. I mean, yeah, it really sounds like a dream.
1: So he decided, I'm going to go and see what happened up there on that hill. I know where those trees are. I'm going to go there. Puts his boots on, gets his stick. He goes out for a walk and he's poking around the area. There's no scorching on the grass as you might expect from some sort of flaming thing coming down to the ground. He's poking around. There's nothing there. There's nothing. Ahem. Then came the discovery without which I should never have set pen to paper this day though in the first instant I thought little of what I now saw which was no more than a movement in the low, bushy growths nearby. Bushes. Yes.
2: (laughs) Bushes to you and me, James. Bushy growths, low, bushy growths, what were they? Uh, Small bushes. Some manner of of bush, I would say.
1: Reader, what does a stirring in the undergrowth signify to you? All right. Saucy. Mm hmm A bird hopping to or from its hidden nest, a fox or badger creeping furtively from its earth. I was curious, still I peered close. Saw only a shifting of leaves which rustled, "'Incontinently I thrust my stick into the foliage, "'thinking that perhaps this animal "'might be goaded into showing itself. "'Imagine my astonishment "'when the steel ferrule struck. "'Was it stone? "'No, metal. "'Some improvident farmer then "'had tossed out an old plow "'rather than have it mended. "'But again, no.' This guy's internal monologue is just a
2: roller coaster of and then I saw an alien. Oh no, probably just a badger wearing shoes. Oh, but I poked it with my stick and it was definitely an alien now, probably just a horseshoe.
1: Have you already read this because I do confess to one wild thought of an armor-clad fox. <laughs> an, armor, an armor-clad fox. I think it just in labyrinth. <laughs> it is no easy matter to describe what I saw. A thing at whose sight a fresh access of awe and wonder held me rooted to the spot. The first likeness which sprang to my mind was an engraving of Plato's perfect solids. The. Oh, should I look this word up. The. Mm, the <laughs> icosahedron, or 20 face. Bo- it's basically a, a D20.
2: Yes. Okay, yeah. I don't know how to pronounce uh, icosahedron either.
1: It's. So let's d- just we'll just say, say D20. D20. The skulker in the leaves then resembled a D20. 20-sided dice, by the way, in case
2: case anybody listening isn't a nerd.
1: We don't need that translation. Just in case. It resembled an icosahedron all of glittering metal, about 18 inches in height, and it was covered in mud, just sort of whizzing around in this sort of Mm. wood floor. It was moving. It was moving around. It was moving around. Sorry, I missed that. Oh, yeah. It rocked on its base, and it sort of tilted up towards it and he leant down to look at it and a little sort of metal hatch opened up. I always get my face near to mysterious
2: artefacts. First thing I do, when I'm wandering in the zone and I see something unexplained, I just get right in there with my face. Just sort of
1: bash it with a stick.
2: Oh yeah, give it a good old whack.
1: Could be an armour-clad fox.
2: Could be an armour-clad fox and you need to show them who's boss. Exactly. Sorry James, Uh, in the countryside that's how we do things. Sometimes you're just going to really hit a fox. It could have armour on. Yeah, oh, you think our farmer should be checking for armour first and then striking, but then the armour-clad fox has got the farmer by the neck, another dead farmer, and that's on your conscience, James.
1: <laughs> that is true, that is true. Um, so, yeah, this little thing had a little hatch popped up. It was like a little glass lens, and he, like, peeked into it, and then another little hatch opened up, <whack> another little glass lens peeked into that, boom, flash. <sharp> a bright purplish flash. Poof, poof flash 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 three flashes he's rocked back on his heels blinded and then it advanced on him with a rod poking out of it coming towards him so he ran away
2: (laughs) yep yeah yeah fair enough
1: and then after a little bit he finally gets his bravery back and he goes looking again and he sees it it's just sort of pootling around it's picked up a little dead body of a rat or some little sort of creature with one rod and another rod comes out and it's got this what he describes as like a thin flexible filmy glass that it wraps the rat up in another little hatch opens and it pops the rat inside its chest cavity thing
2: so far it's behaving like a player in an rpg video game yeah yeah Because the first thing you do is you arrive a rat attacks you you kill the rat you immediately see was that rat carrying any cash maybe a key uh any anything valuable oh rat meat i'll have that
1: yeah I'll that's fine that, i
2: might need it i'm never i'm never gonna do anything with the rat meat it's
1: probably poisoned, but i'll take it it's the
2: start of an rpg
1: just because it was the first thing that i collected yeah. i'm gonna I'll keep at that least till keep it
2: until i get to the inn and then maybe sell it Has so
1: got any rat meat on us <laughs> that's the innkeeper that was the innkeeper. yeah. That'd be
2: one one gold piece mm. good value
1: so he sees it pottering around and then he realizes it's got his He's got his
2: stick. That's my stick. And an Englishman's rod is his stick,
1: as they say. That's my armour clad fox poking stick. <laughs>
2: If an armor-clad fox were to accost him on the way home,
1: defenseless, so he follows it, and then it goes b- to a bigger version of itself, like another big D twenty, and it gives the stick to it, and that puts the stick in its thing, and he's like, "That's my, st- I want my stick back. It's got my stick," and he realises they've spotted him, what? and he starts to try and get away, but then the little one like herds him, herds him huh? round like a sheepdog, yeah, over to the bigger one. And he gets over to the big one. And what suddenly confronted me, born like a spirit from thin air before my eyes, was a man. A man, moreover, who seemed not a little insubstantial, close to translucent. But this man's face was not unfamiliar. He was dressed like myself in good, plain clothes. Blah, 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 blah. This man was undeniably myself. Myself! Oh. I'm not ashamed to record that I clutched urgently at my waistcoat.
2: To make sure that he was not naked.
1: To check that he was actually real, I think.
2: Oh, I see. Mm.
1: And now the image changed. In an eye blink, it shifted. Now the semblance of myself was dazed, not fearful, but seemingly stunned. Briefly wondered whether this was a glimpse of some horrid future. But again, the figure suddenly changed. So that the third presentiment showed this same loosely, but now with his hand before his eyes. So that his countenance was hidden. It was. It was. It was an image of him, and then the image of himself disappears, and then is replaced by an orb, and it shows a bunch of weird patterns. Classic, yeah, classic orb. Classic orb situation. He doesn't really understand what's going on. There seems to be some sort of logic to these images within this orb, and this is a guy from 1871. Like they haven't got telly or anything. So this is pretty. Out their stuff he's,
2: he's never seen any basic special effects you're right so this is all new to him
1: yeah and after a while uh he describes this feeling that something was expected of me i shrugged my shoulders <laughs> 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 okay. uh-huh. bowed to the larger engine or rather to its <laughs> occupants and said aloud sirs your conjurer's show is all mystery to me there ensued another pause the whole affair, recalling my comical conversations with a monsieur who, I have no doubt, said his say lucidly and in an ingenious variety of ways, though in French always. Struggle as he might, his meaning remained obscure. With a monsieur? Who? Monsieur. So he's basically saying it's a bit like talking to a Frenchman.
2: Oh, right.
1: So, um, uh, in the in the commentary, David Langford sort of ex- extrapolates what some of these things might have been. So, it showed a bunch of numbers like a series of four, lights, six, eight, twelve, twenty, which all refer back to these platonic solids. Those okay, yeah. Basically, your classic dice, dices. Yeah. Cubes.
2: Uh, a torus is a torus plat- platonic solid. Uh,
1: ye yeah, maybe.
2: Sphere is a sphere one.
1: No. No, it's got much. no sides. No. Whereas, has it got one side? It's I think it should be, but what I think Plato probably knew better than me on this one.
2: Okay. All right.
1: It's something along the lines of a shape that is all the sides are the same shape, the same size, basically. Okay. And you could only make four, six, eight, twelve, and twenty sided things in that manner. Basically. I see. okay all right david also um postulates that the images shown to him the three images were the three images of himself and the, this alien was trying to work out if he could recognize himself kind of thing and when he did mm. it was like okay we're going to try and communicate gave him loads of maths basically they were mathematically significant numbers summit about a pascal triangle a fibonacci sequence these all sound like delicious puddings A representation of the solar system. It tries to sort of show him that he's planet number three in this representation of the solar system, and all these these images, like they other things, like represent atoms that sort of correspond to Schrodinger's wave equation, which wouldn't be formulated for another fifty years. Mm. If they'd have shown him a woodwork-based thing, he would have been (laughs) all over it.
2: Yeah, if he just they're just trying a diagram of the difference between being a carpenter and being a joiner.
1: You know the things on like the Pioneer and the Voyager. Yeah, space it's got craft. a couple
2: of naked people.
1: That the embarrassed guy going hi, <laughs> I've forgotten my trousers.
2: And then just some or oh, some Wagner probably and a Elvis track or something. I don't know what I don't know
1: what's on there. Well, on Voyager, it's got Johnny Be Good. It's got Johnny Be Good. It
2: has it's just to sort of suggest that the human race generally tries. To achieve virtuous behaviour. Yeah, goodness. We're good, we're good, or at least or at least Johnny was exalted to be good.
1: Yeah. And hopefully underneath there's a little plaque that says, Maybe you extraterrestrials aren't ready for that yet, but your kid's <laughs> gonna love it. <laughs> it's also got a song by Blind Willie Johnson.
2: Blind Willie Johnson? Yeah, the blues singer.
1: Yeah. I don't know about the existence of a blind Willie Johnson. Is he one eyed Willie's less fortunate brother?
2: There are multiple Blind Willies. What's, which Blind Willie Johnson song is it?
1: I, d- I don't know, I'm afraid. Oh. But in the land of Blind Willies, the one-eyed Willie is king. <laughs> <laughs> that's a Goonies reference there. That's a yep. two-fuss. Yes. Yeah, you've that's pretty really good. Mm so that's uh, and that's a sort of commentary says that he was maybe being co- attempted to be communicated with by these aliens in a way that he would just not be able to understand he says what is does he says there's a really good quote so he's he sees all this stuff and he just gets bored like in a like seeing a yeah, floating yeah. sphere in front of him that's giving all these light shows in front of him uh, one of the quote is then to my dismay a new show began <laughs> <laughs> to be honest it put me in mind of when i went to see avatar at the cinema <laughs> like it was amazing but yeah 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 then to my dismay another hour began <laughs> all in all he likened the whole thing like trying to talk to a frenchman jean crapard <laughs> he gave it the name
2: he what's jean Crap- he gave it a. He, he gave yeah. a satirical name like an annoying French man. Yes, yeah. Oh, I my, my French neighbour is always showing me equations and platonic solids. So
1: it's showing all these pictures, and then the last picture, an indescribably complicated tangle, was suddenly gone. And as suddenly, like one who consults his watch and away begins to run, the smaller engine skimmed away. So I think, <laughs> I think the alien just got bored and was just Yeah, because like, oh, this guy's
2: really boring.
1: Uh, got to go mate actually sorry sorry he'd managed to work out one bit that was like demonstrating one of the little things and the bigger thing and then the the big ship that they came from and he kind of worked out that it was meant to be coming back the next day the next night to pick up its things. so he went home went to bed and was like i'll oh, get up in the morning and i'll go and maybe i'll go and have another chat to him but he oversleeps and uh misses it and there's a really, really well described thing where he's like, he like wakes up and realises it's coming down and he's sort of at his window being like, oh, I could run, but I'm pretty sure I'm not going to catch it. <laughs> I think we've all had that experience with buses. Yeah. You're like a bit later, like ah, I could run, but I'll probably just then be out of breath. Yeah, 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 and not on a bus.
2: Yeah, and if you do run, then you're just getting there, and you and you still miss it. Then you've run, and you've got the maximum possible amount of time to wait.
1: Yes, exactly. It's the
2: worst of both worlds.
1: Yes, so that's it, really. And then there's a little postscript, which is from about ten years later. Another piece of paper was found, which says, "Psych." It details that he doesn't want the story to be told until he's an old man, in case it hurts his reputation. So he's going to hide it in this drawer, which he did. And, uh, yeah, that's that's that.
2: Incroyable, as an alien might say. Yeah. Mon Dieu, c'est l'histoire magnifique.
1: Uh, Au revoir, uh, mon mon frère, I don't know. Où est la piscine (laughs) Uh, uh, uh
2: mon
1: Je Euclidean space. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that was what the alien was like. I just need my Euclidean yeah, yeah. space actually, thanks.
2: It's a shame the alien didn't arrive in France and they would have just been like, oh yeah, we talk like that.
1: So Bon.
2: Ouais. bon.
1: Um so Aye. it's really well written uh, account uh, and David's uh, Langford's bit afterwards really sort of goes into the explanations of what these things could mean. Um, David Langford, I looked up. He's an he's an author. He's an editor. He's a critic. He's got a degree in physics from Brasenose College at Oxford. Um, he worked as a weapons physicist, and now he's a science fiction writer. Mm. For the benefit of the
2: listener, I'm 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 squinting my eyes, yeah, skeptically.
1: Yes, skeptical. He freely admits that this story is fictional.
2: What?
1: Yeah, sorry gang. What
2: the whole thing's not. Ah, I mean yeah. I did say it right at the top, right at the start of the show I he said called it was obviously it... a lie, but
1: still I am it's oh. He admits the story's fictional and notes that journalists don't usually ask. Hmm. There's quite a famous ufologist Whitley Strieber who wrote Communion, which is meant to be based off a thing that happened to him, he thinks it's true and he will not take David Langford's word that he's made it up. Mm. It's like become a massive part of ufology, this account.
2: Even though it says at the end, I made it up.
1: It doesn't actually say in the book. To be fair, it doesn't say in the book... Okay. Is, is very, the closest thing it does is his little sort of write-up on the on the dust jacket. It talks about he writes lots of sci-fi. Right, okay. It's got yeah. a very funny line at the end. His wife, Hazel, is a qualified Egyptologist who has great patience with all of this. <laughs>
2: that's, that's good. Very that's nice. That's really good. It's
1: very nice. David Langford won 29 Hugo Awards. Or Hugo, as an alien would pronounce that. That's a... um. A sort of a sci-fi writer's thing.
2: Yeah, it's the, it's the main award for sci-fi writing.
1: Between 1979 and 2009, he had a 31-year streak of nominations. Wow. And between 89 and 2007, a 19-year streak of wins.
2: Pretty impressive.
1: For the best short stories, sci-fi short story. Venge In
2: the chat is asking, and I, I think a lot of people's hearts ride on this, was the magic table with special hidden drawers also fictional? Or was there some truth to it?
1: Well, uh, as he says, what of the great great granddaughter of William Robert Lucy? What what happened to her? Reader, I married her. That was his wife.
2: Oh. Was the great
1: great, and I th- so I think the table is real.
2: So it's a real table. Good. So, so he saw a, a real table and thought I can do something with that.
1: Yeah. Mm. Uh, Amy Mugleston is asking another very important question: Are the French real? We just don't know. No one can tell. So that is uh, the tale of an account of meeting with denizens of another world by William Robert Looseley, edited and um, with commentary by David Langford and written by
2: well that's not folklore but it was a great story so uh, and and he does a good pastiche of um, Victoria of doddery old Victorian prose meandering old Victorian prose that spends as much time on hypothetical fox (laughs) armour as it does on an actual alien.
1: I would say it's a really good read if anyone is after it. I think it's out of print, so it's kind of difficult to pick up. There are, content warning, aside from that chair-based sexism, there are a couple of words used in it that might have been all right in the 70s to give an impression of a colonial era person. Definitely not cool now yeah but broadly speaking uh it's it's not a bad re- little read mm. so then shall i score this i feel there might be some backlash because this was a fiction but yeah. are you ready to score me
2: i'm ready to lash back
1: yeah ah, yeah okay ABK
2: lashes back I came i came in saying not true and i ended the story not true and in the middle i was like an armored fox and that's been my journey
1: yeah, I mean, it was a good journey. It's not a bad journey.
2: No, I enjoyed it.
1: So, first up.
2: Names. Name, well, I like the denizens of another world. The denizens. A couple of D20s.
1: Billy Bob Loosely. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah, that's okay. Loosely's good.
1: Uh, annoyingly, these books, whilst they've got great blurbs, they've got not got good titles.
2: No, no.
1: Um,
2: uh, General war business, 40 years hence. Rubbish.
1: Yeah, there aren't many names in there, are there, really? At all. Uh, do, you want to, do you
2: want to enter Joiner Carpenters The Thing in the names category to boost the score?
1: Yes, one of the names for this tale suggested by the Chattergree is Joiner Carpenters The Thing brackets that i saw close brackets that's a good name. that's a good name that's
2: significantly better than the title of the book to be fair i don't think john carpenter's the thing had come out when the book was published so that's the only reason i can come up with
1: yeah um all right I, we've got a couple of more names that i've just remembered we've got platonic solids do me a platonic solid nice we've got pascal's triangle fibonacci yep. sequence yep. um he refers to The Frenchman is Jean Crapard. Oh, yeah, Jean
2: Crapard. Yeah. All right, well, here's what I'll do, James. Would you like me to score these names along the Fibonacci sequence? If it... Yeah. Okay. So how many have we got? We've got got Jean Crapard. That's one. William Robert. Billy Bob. That's also one, if we're on the Fibonacci sequence. So we're we're still on one. It's very low. oh, 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 oh. Uh, Blind Willie Johnson. Blind Willie Johnson. That's three, and then John Carpenter's The Thing
1: is five. Yes, so nice five one, out of five. Fibonacci. Finally, finally, your scale got used. I
2: honestly, when I said let's score it using the Fibonacci sequence, I thought it was going to be worse than that. <laughs> I was very excited by the fact that it starts one one, and didn't realize how quickly five made an appearance.
1: Okay, now then, hmm. My second category is supernatural.
2: Zero. Zero out of five. Zero stars.
1: Oh. It's a,
2: it's a it's a D zero. A zero sided dice.
1: That is uh, the sphere, I suppose, in a way. Mm. Yeah. Um just a big O. Oh. <sighs> didn't think I would do very well on that one. In which case, that brings us to the chat agree. The um the category suggested by the chat. Uh, on the YouTube live stream. Good work, the chat. Thanks, the chat. It was, ooh, what's inside your drawers?
2: It's a very 1970s, it's an appropriately 1970s category. The book came out in the 70s. Yes. And and a huge amount of humour in the 70s centred around the noise. Ooh.
0: Ooh. Ooh.
2: ooh what's in Which your drawers? suggested something, from the, something in the bepanted area was occurring. Mm-hmm. I, and the good thing about drawers is it can refer to a, a draw, draw on a on a cabinet mm-hmm. or under the pants.
1: Yeah, there's not much in his underpants. Apart from he might have just been in his um, long johns when he went out that first night. Yeah. when he was a bit mm-hmm. hot and he wanted to cool down. Hmm. Okay. I assumed you
2: had some kind of some kind of pant-based stuff in order to bulk this out
1: well first of all let's just get out of the way the desk the desk the magical desk with a secret drawer
2: magic desk secret drawers yes all sorts
1: of pigeonholes that did exist at the very least
2: yep yep yep
1: that's good the little alien the little robot um that had it's
2: got several little compartments it had
1: compartments yeah it had a what's probably a camera it had a flash it had a little compartment for dead rats yeah, yeah, a little rat's slot. And then it went over to its bigger mate and it gave it a big stick to put in its its big stick compartment. Yeah,
2: there's a, there's a stick. I can't fit that in my drawer. Put that in yours.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's it. I think, I'm afraid.
2: So that's about three examples of drawers, I suppose.
1: Maybe a little cheeky secret bonus extra point. For what purpose? Hidden within that three, if I sort of pulled on the middle bit of the three. And <laughs> no, I don't think so. Would another little one pop out, turn it into a four? No, no I don't think
2: so. I don't think that's happening. Darn. I think in general, I think the premise of this part of the podcast is that you give reasons and then I give numbers. I don't think you can just at the end go, but what if it were higher? But- <laughs> what if have a little bit more? Like a, an orphan. You can't just be like, please, sir,
1: I need... A bigger number. The
2: score as big as me. Different. <laughs> Different one. You, sir, you, you boy, what day is it? It's ABK playing hardball day. Oh. I'm not giving you more than three for that.
1: In which case, my final category. Mm-hmm. It is awesome. Well-I-Never. Now.
2: (laughs) That's going to need an explanation. This is going to need quite
1: a lot of explanation. Right. Okay. So, as I mentioned, David has said in multiple places, this is a fiction. This is a story that he made Mm -hmm. up.
2: Did anybody ask, or is he just like at the bus stop,
1: I made it up! Well, the reason he's saying that is because people are citing this as an Victorian example of an alien interaction.
2: Impossible that he could have predicted that that would have happened by publishing it as a Victorian account. Of a UFO encounter.
1: But it was he specialises in parodies. That's very much his thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knows he's good at it, absolutely. He's very good at it. So people must be saying that he's now lying. That they have got to him and they are making him say.
2: Right. That he made it up. Hmm.
1: So, what I posit is that Mm -hmm. he did find it, edit it, comment on it, and publish it as the story goes, but then they did get to him, and they forced him to become a fiction writer.
2: Okay, yeah.
1: He had a 31-year streak.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You think he made a deal with the devil or some kind?
1: Exactly. He like a nineteen-year winning streak. Yeah. And this started in nineteen seventy-nine, the year that this was published.
2: Okay. Yeah, yeah. And
1: he's now trapped in that lie, unable to convince anyone that he is a liar, because they'd be like, "Well, you're lying now. What about if you were? That means you were not lying. Now means you were telling the truth before. It's a real paradox.
2: How does that connect to Orson Welles?
1: Well, you might remember. Orson Welles did his famous radio production of War of the Worlds.
2: Yes, I do.
1: Which now we're told that the reports of people believing um, it and panic were yeah. overstated. But what if it was real and there was an alien invasion that Orson Welles reported yeah. <laughs> on? But Orson
2: Welles, the director of fiction, Orson Welles was. Chosen to report on.
1: Yeah, and then he was subsequently... The subsequent-
2: of the Mercury Theatre troupe.
1: We'll just get him to do it. But, and then they were like, well, you're going to have to become a director now. Uh, they got to him.
2: Right, but you'll be the greatest director for a bit.
1: Yeah, he'd, three years later, he made and, the greatest film mm-hmm. ever made. Yes,
2: Herbie. It's about a Volkswagen with a mind of its own.
1: And you could very much argue by looking at the work and life of Orson Welles, that you could argue that he very much fell out of love of cinema. And it, mm. at points, it was like he was a man being forced to do it. Mm-hmm. In 1973, there was a documentary, a fi- faux documentary film called F for Fake. Yes, it's excellent. Is that a cry for help? It's about a docudrama about an art forger. It's really, really good.
2: Uh, I've, I, I've, I sort of feel like of, of you, me and the listeners, I'm the only person who's seen that film. It's excellent, F for Fake. Uh, what um, was
1: Orson Welles' last film that he was in? It's... Is it the robot one? Transformers the movie.
2: Sorry. <laughs> Transformers the movie or the, the
1: robot one? Yes. Where he played Unicron, an alien robot intelligence that is intent on attacking and devouring the Earth. Has this hit a message?
2: <laughs> and that was his way of telling us with a film that he obviously had no respect for.
1: His final line in cinema is destiny, mm. you cannot destroy my destiny. And then he explodes. <laughs> <laughs> that is how Orson Welles left cinema.
2: And he also left us a variety of other secret messages like the delicious French wines of Paul Masson.
1: The peas.
2: Like what is what did, what did he mean by that when he delivered those lines really weirdly? What was he trying to tell us? What tell me what you want in the depths of your ignorance? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't direct an actor like this in Shakespeare. So And other Orson Welles
1: Does quotes. that sound like someone who is in love with his art and wants to do it, Maybe or someone not- that is being forced to by
2: Yeah, no. Yeah, no, look, I'm not saying that man. Orson Welles was a happy chappy, but I just don't know if that proves the existence of aliens. <laughs> Never mind tangentially proving the existence of a different set of aliens dif- based on a pun. Uh, yes. Sorry, I, I hit the mic there with the force of my words. I, I'm, I'm unconvinced, although I did enjoy you bringing up Orson Welles.
1: I would also like to point out that because these things can get out of hand, I absolutely do not believe any of that argument at all. <laughs> right? I think that I made yeah, that yeah, up yeah, oh, for yeah, that's a nonsense. joke.
2: No, you—that's what they're making James say. Wing. And the Lawmen podcast went on to be reasonably popular. Coincidence?
1: Yeah. yeah. All right. So, yeah. um, what was my score for Orson Welles? I never. Because also. It never happened. I mean it's layers upon layers. It's at least five layers.
2: Ask to ask me for a score like this. How can you place
1: a score on a man's life, James?
2: <laughs> I don't think a man's life could ever be summed up with a single score. That's someone else that's a different character in Citizen Kane. It doesn't it's not important. Alright, it, it it's five, but only if only if you if you like on your deathbed whisper that five.
1: Oh yes. On your
2: deathbed and then drop uh Snow globe, and inside the snow globe, there's just a tiny little you and me doing a thumbs up,
1: and all the little, the little snowflakes are little fives. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure we could do that. Easy enough.
2: All right. Five. It is then five. Brilliant. Thanks. We know a little place where fives are grown. Normally, at the end of the recordings, when the chat aren't here, we just sort of it peters we off into remembering. And that's the end of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot that there were people. Who, and I'm, I'm pointing over here because that's where my chat is.
1: I hope no one minds that um, that that it turned out to be false. But um...
2: oh, there's a lot of anger. Uh, Virginia Dodier is asking to work in the magnificent Ambersons. Yeah, we already have by it going on way too long. Sing, <laughs> <laughs> like that, Austin <Olson> Wells. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about the studio cut where they hacked big lumps out of it as well. It's still a bit long, mm-hmm. and and it end, and the ending is somewhat unsatisfying
1: was it recorded down a well
2: I don't think anybody could have guessed that that story was fake the very instant it started like I did (laughs) sorry I'm, I'm just I'm just smugly smugly Pleased to have noticed that that wasn't
1: true. You say that for every story. I just cut it out every yeah. other time. <laughs> <laughs> Thing was, I I don't want to drop her in it, but I'd read about this story in a Betty Puttick.
2: Betty Puttick.
1: And then the afternoon before we recorded, I was like, I'll find out a little bit of colour about the guy that edited it. It's too much research, if anything. Puttick mm. got you, James. Puttick. Anyway, for extra stuff, if you want to see the whole of that live stream, you can see the the point where my heart breaks. When Alistair <laughs> says, I think this is not true <laughs> within the first five minutes. Uh, so do check that out. Also, uh, join the Patreon for bonus episodes, more stuff. And see you next week for a Valentine special, I guess. Bye. You can buy it you can, right now. You can,
2: it comes out, technically it comes out on Wednesday, but it is in, it's in some shops. Really? You can't stop them from putting them on the shelves. Nice but uh, it comes out on Wednesday. Uh, no, Thursday. Thursday. Second. It comes out on the 2nd of
1: February. If you ordered it on the internet, would it be with you on a Thursday? I don't know, or do James, they I'm it not up. part of the distribution uh, this is network.
2: The, these are the what, new you, questions. What, part, what role do you think I have in the process it's, of selling it?
1: The, those, that question and where do you get your crazy ideas from, uh, <laughs> that's all you're going to need to answer.
2: And Well, the answer to the second one is I just read things out of the chat while you're talking. <laughs>